Welcome back to another episode of 5 a.m. Theology. Chris, it's not only the end of the year, it's the end of year one of this podcast. And I know you join me in expressing just how grateful we are for all of you who listen, who've made this little podcast a success. Yes, I feel exactly the same way. It's always been a dream of Chris's and mine to broaden our early morning chats about our daily readings into a much bigger discussion. We love talking about scripture and we've loved talking about it with all of you these past 52 weeks. And we really do pray that all of you have found this podcast edifying. And the end of the year means that we're at the end of our chronological Bible. But no worries. Next week, we begin all over again. A new year means going back to the beginning of Genesis. So in 2024, we will again go through the entire Bible and talk about a whole different set of scriptures. One thing you never, ever have to worry about when it comes to talking about the Bible is that you will run out of the material because it is inexhaustive. For sure. And for this last week of this year, we picked a passage from 1 Peter chapter 2. But it's a perfect message to look at before we head back to Genesis next week. So I'll read the passage. It's 1 Peter 2, 6 to 10. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So many verses in the book of 1 Peter get misconstrued and misused. And many of the incorrect interpretations of Peter's words can easily be fixed if you just read the first line of his letter. Peter is writing here to believers. That's who the letter's to. That's a crucial truth of this letter and puts everything that he says into context. Peter's letter also clears up some verses from other books that get taken out of context also and get misused also. For example, it's obvious that the stone talked about throughout this passage in 1 Peter is Jesus. A lot of us might be like, no kidding, Jesus is the rock and cornerstone of God's people and the church. But not everyone believes that. The Catholic Church has held that Peter is that rock that Jesus built his church on. They hold Peter up as the first pope. They take it totally wrong. Yeah. In fact, St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, in the Vatican, was supposedly built over Peter's grave by Constantine because he wanted to fulfill Matthew 16, 18, where Jesus said to Peter, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, Chris, you know, if you look at the whole passage in Matthew in context, Peter is confessing that Jesus is the Christ, and Jesus in return is telling Peter that the church is going to be built upon himself, the rock, meaning himself, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. 
And even if that seems a little unclear from the passage in Matthew 16, verse 18, verses like this one in 1 Peter and so many other places make it crystal clear that Jesus is the rock or cornerstone of his people, the church. And we shouldn't miss that it's Peter who wrote these words in 1 Peter. He obviously knew with certainty who the rock God's people would be built on was. And he wasn't saying, hey, it's me. Yeah, exactly. He had no confusion about it. No, he didn't. These verses in 1 Peter show a stark dichotomy between those who belong to God and those who don't, meaning believers and unbelievers. And Peter makes it clear what the determining factor is between the two groups. He says about God, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Peter is quoting Isaiah's words here. Now, when Isaiah said this, he was speaking against the leaders of Israel and Judah. But Isaiah's prophecy was also looking forward to a time when God would lay a foundation, meaning Jesus, and that all those who trusted in that foundation alone would never be put to shame. Jesus is that cornerstone. It's certainly not if you put your trust in Peter, you won't be put to shame. And for those of us who put our trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we become living stones in God's temple. Exactly. And then Peter shows some contrasts between believers and unbelievers. The first one is this. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Amazing as it is, when we belong to Jesus, we get to share in Jesus's honor. All the glory belongs to him alone, but God does bestow honor on us. We see this in Revelation when the elders are given crowns of gold. In stark contrast for unbelievers, rather than Jesus being their cornerstone, he's a stone that they stumble on and take offense at. Yeah. And I don't think, Chris, we should skip over Peter saying that they stumble because they disobey. In other words, they're completely accountable and responsible for their disobedience to God. But then Peter says, as they were destined to do. Peter says in a few words what Paul expounds on in many, many verses in his letters. Peter's a man of fewer words than Paul. God has made himself known to the world through creation and through Jesus. So no one is without excuse for not believing in him. However, without regeneration by the Holy Spirit, nobody would come to Jesus. We said it a couple of weeks ago when we looked at Ephesians, we're slaves to Satan and sin. We're what's called non-passe, non-pacare, which means not able to not sin. That's why Peter can say that disobedience is the destiny of unbelievers if they remain in that state. Absolutely. An unbeliever is not able to not sin. Peter continues with a contrast saying this about believers. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're a chosen race. 
before the foundation of the world, God chose a people for himself, a people for his own possession. Despite what the liberal church is pushing today, our race, quote unquote, in God's eyes, has nothing to do with our skin color and has every single thing to do with our heart condition. The same with being a holy nation. This designation has nothing to do with our geographical locations. It doesn't matter whether you're in the United States or Israel. It has nothing to do with that. It's about being made alive by God and being rescued from darkness and set aside by God to be separate and holy. Believers are people set apart from the rest of the world who exist to glorify God. And on top of that, we get to enjoy him forever. Yeah mind-blowing yeah and it might seem strange that peter calls us a royal priesthood since jesus is the perfect and ultimate priest back in the old testament god designated the descendants of aaron from the tribe of levi to be the priests of god's people but the priestly institution was needed then because the sin of the people had not yet once and for all been dealt with so there needed to be an intermediary who could go between Israel and God. And what the priest did is they went between God and the people to temporarily appease God so he wouldn't rightly destroy his sinful people. But that was never meant to be the permanent solution. The priestly system always looked forward and pointed to Jesus, who's the perfect intermediary between God and us, his people. Because Jesus has cleared the way between us and God, we don't need anyone to be our intercessor with God anymore. We can go directly to God ourselves. So in that way, it makes us able to function in the same way the priest did without all the bloody sacrifices. Thank God. Just as Christians are all saints, all Christians are priests who are under the perfect ultimate priest, Jesus. Exactly. The last contrast Peter makes in these verses is that once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Jesus is not just our cornerstone and priest. He has also opened up the kingdom of God to those who it was previously closed to, meaning the Gentiles. Gentiles who just about all of us are, or at least descended from, is used in scripture to signify unbelievers, uh, the ungodly or the wicked people. But now these who were formerly not God's people have the kingdom of God open to them and have the ability to become God's people by worshiping Israel's true king. Likewise, those who were under the old covenant are also God's people because the promised Messiah that they trusted in has come. Because of Jesus, God no longer gives us what we deserve. Instead of condemnation, we find mercy. And on the flip side, those who don't belong to God don't find mercy. Instead, they do get what they deserve, condemnation. Peter's pretty blunt about the dichotomy between believers and unbelievers. But this dichotomy is seen throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. In fact, Chris, as you know, probably nowhere is it more pronounced than in the books of Genesis and Revelation. Exactly. Genesis makes it clear there's a godly line and an ungodly line. Throughout the book of Genesis, we see different genealogies of the two sides. We see how God treats the two sides and how the two sides respond to God. And Revelation is the same. 
Although the genealogies in Revelation are a little more subtle, they're definitely there. And we certainly see differences in how God treats the two different sides and how the two sides respond to them. Yeah, there's no universalism. No. <laughs> I don't know how people get that. <laughs> Absolutely and, not. Uh, keep this in mind as we start reading the Bible all over again on January 1st. Take note of how often God makes this dichotomy between those who are his people and those who aren't throughout the Bible. As we end this year and begin a new one, let's all spend some time meditating on the amazing gift that we've been given of belonging to God. In this new year, may we, as Peter says later in this passage, have no fear nor be troubled, but in our hearts, Honor Christ the Lord as holy and always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for the reason for the hope that is in us. And that's where we're going to end today. Have a blessed new year, everybody.